there's some stories in the Old Testament, and I feel like the Lord really brought this onto my heart yesterday afternoon. I had a different message planned, actually. And um, poor Alan went, went on a run with me, and we talked about it. So he heard, he heard the majority of what was going to happen, and now it's not going to happen. So, but we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and chapter 11 for those who are, who are uh, note takers or, or you like to follow along. But this is an Old Testament story that is actually a prophetic picture for us of what it looks like to have the perspective of heaven versus having a fallen perspective and, and inviting that which is dark into our life. And, you know, there's scriptures. One I like to quote is, is 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says that all these things, talking about all the, the Old Testament stories, they happened to them, the people of the Old Testament, as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so when we see these Old Testament stories, we're literally looking at stories that are almost like examples and types and shadows of things that we walk through in life as New Testament Christians. And so with that in mind, I wanted to do somewhat of a, just a, a simple Bible study today, and I feel like the Lord is on it. And uh, it's basically 1 Samuel 11, but I'll back up to 1 Samuel 10, and we're going to talk about maybe even watch this story through that lens of what is this saying, but what is it saying to us, okay? And so 1 Samuel chapter 10 is the story of the very first king of Israel, the first human king, and, and his name was Saul. And now a lot of, if you've been to the, you know, Bible studies and you've heard, you've heard, you've been to church, you've heard of Saul, it's usually a pretty negative uh, connotation behind his name, you know, because David was quite persecuted by him, but, but Saul wasn't always all that bad, and in 1 Samuel 10 and 1 Samuel 11, he was a rookie. He had just been anointed king, and he was a good guy. He was the leader, and so 1 Samuel 10 is literally the story of Samuel finding him and anointing him as the first king of Israel, and it says something in 1 Samuel 10.6 that Samuel prophesies to him. He anoints him, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and you will prophesy with the prophets, and it will turn you into another man. And so he's, he's literally forecasting to this young man, you're going to run into these prophetic men that are coming off the mountain, the prophets of the Lord. Um, they're going to be coming down from a high place, and they're going to be playing all of their instruments, string instruments, tambourine flutes, and harps, and all these things. And when, when you run into them, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you as well, and you're going to be different. You're going to become a different person. Um, he goes on three verses later in verse 9. It says, So it was that when Samuel had turned back, after Samuel gave, the, gave him this word, when, when Saul had turned back, that God gave him another heart, and all of these signs came to pass. So here was this young man, Saul, super handsome, good-looking guy, kind of tall, becomes king, but the first thing that happens to him when he's under the anointing, which is an oil that's poured upon him, which is simply the symbolism of, of a Christian walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit within him, he changes and he becomes somebody else. And he becomes somebody else by that spirit of prophecy, which we know is, is literally a shadow of that Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus. And it causes Saul to become another man. A valiant man, as a matter of fact. And then we have, in 1 Samuel 11, Saul's first 
story after he's transformed into somebody that he's never been before. And that's what I wanted to look at today. It's actually 11 verses. I'm going to read the majority of them. But if we can follow along this story, I think we'll see some stuff from Saul's life that is very pertinent to us having the perspective of the king. And it's written for us for that very uh, specific reason. It says, 1 Samuel 11.1, 1, Then Nahash, or Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against, against Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nakash the Ammonite answered him and said, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all of your right eyes and bring reproach upon all of Israel. So the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days, that we may send messengers to all of the territory of Israel, and then, if there is no one to save us, we'll come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, and told the news, which is where Saul lived. So they came over to where Saul lived, and they told the news in the hearing of all the people, and all of the people lifted up their voices and wept. That's the first four verses. So Nakash the Ammonite, an evil ruler of a people group who wanted to destroy Israel in its infantile stage, actually comes up and encamps against and around a certain territory where Israel, Israelis lived. A high place, mountain region, hilly region. And when he did, basically it means like he and his army showed up into their sphere and set up their camps against Israel. In other words, we're, we're spending the night, but we're fully intent of wiping you guys off the face of the earth. Now this was very upsetting to Israel, as you can see, because their, their first thing that they do is they say, hey, let's, let's make a compromise. Let us make a deal with you so that we can just be your servants. Maybe you could be our king and we'll be under you. And, 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 and he says, yeah, that sounds good. You know what we'll do? We'll make a deal that you'll be my servants. But what I require is I'm going to pluck out the right eye of all your men, of all your people. And that way, uh, it'll, it'll be known that, you see what I'm doing right here? You got, I got my eye closed if you listen to the podcast, right? I'm, this is what we were going to look like. That's, that was the plan. This is the compromise. And it sounds crazy, but they said, all right, well, give us seven days to think about it. Then they decided to go inquire of the king and the rest of their, you know, their countrymen. And it says when they showed up, to tell the news to where Saul lived, all the people that hurt, all those people that were given in the news and all the Jews that hurt them, they all just started weeping and crying. So it sounds like this is our only option. <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds like a pretty bad thing. Um, a little, little backstory that this king, this, this ruler of the Ammonites, his name is Nakash, and it's the same word that's used for Satan in Genesis 3. You know, Genesis 3, when the serpent, the Nakash, comes and he deceives Eve. He actually, by his craftiness, he speaks to Eve and he says, Has God surely said that if you eat this fruit, you're going to die? 
and he plants in their head some compromise, like there's a different way to do this thing. God's holding back from you. He's actually not good as you think he is. But if you eat this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, then you're actually going to be like God. And he knows this. So religion enters the world where the Nakash or the serpent or Satan, as he's sometimes called, the opposer, the, the, the accuser, comes in and he sows lies and he gets people to compromise on the truth and the reality of what God's given them to do. Yeah? So it's, it's no, it's no um, accident that this guy's name, this king, is the exact same name as that serpent. It's different because it's a, it's a personal proper noun, so it's used as a name, but it's the same word. You know, one's snake and one snake as a name, or serpent, right? And so, this serpent, I mean, we should be t talking about Noah's Ark today, I think. That should have been the message. This is incredible. It's kind of nice, though. I'm from the, the South-South. We like storms. So anyways, there we go. We'll get a little break. Um, so he comes and, he, and somebody with the name of serpent comes and actually makes a compromise and says, on this condition, I'll make a covenant with you, a different covenant. Just got to pluck your eyeballs out. Now, the right eye literally represents seeing by faith and seeing in the spirit. The left eye is usually ministerial, but the right eye literally means seeing by, by faith, seeing in the spirit. It's like if you will compromise with me, turn a blind eye to what you're actually doing, we can make a deal and you can stay comfortable and safe. So there's the deal of the enemy. To be honest, it's still on the table. Tons of people take it. Maybe the majority, I don't know, but it's just the way it is. But it's interesting to see these people, it's just, as if they, they had no consciousness of, of the reality of like, they thought they didn't have any other option. So it was like, we either get killed or we just make a deal and become a servant. It's like, oh my gosh, but even that's bad because we have our eye plucked out. So they come and tell the rest of Israel, and this mentality, this message of the Nakash, the serpent's voice, and its intimidation spreads through all the people. And now you see them coming to give this news to the rest of the Israelis, and now they're all weeping and crying. They're already mourning before anything negative happens. You know. Talk about feeling like you have no options. Here's one thing, maybe this is a side note, and I tell this to people a lot because I see it a lot. When you get in life and you feel like you do not have options, especially concerning following the Lord's voice, when it comes to following the Lord's voice and will for your life, and you feel like you don't have that option because it's not on the table, you have these other things you have to please or other things are going to go bad if you don't, that is a sure sign that you are being controlled. Amen. It's a sure sign of manipulation, it's control, and there's always a third option, which is to seek first the kingdom and follow his voice. Maybe that's a side message, but man, it's a hitter. I'll tell you what, it, it, it flies through, uh, yeah. So that's what's going on. These people are coming and crying. And in verse five, Saul, who's just, met the prophets, been anointed, met the prophets, started prophesying himself to where people were like, is he a prophet now? What's, what's going on? He's really just a type for us to see. He's actually been changed into another man, whatever that means, right? And God has given him a new heart. Hmm. So the anointing, which is not, which in Christianity is 
is the heart of flesh, it is the spirit within, is very much different than the heart of stone, the fruit of Adam, the heart of the, you know, the fallen man. Here's somebody in the old covenant walking in the moment in that new covenant heart mentality, okay, for us. So it says, Saul was coming behind the herd from the field. You mean the king was <laughs> coming behind the herd from the field? Like, yes. Like I said, it was in the early stages. He was coming, you know, coming behind the herd from the field, and he saw, hey, what troubles the people? Why are they weeping? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. So Saul shows up, and it's a crying festival. On his first real, I'm just now, I guess God's changed me, into, you know, I'm the guy. And, like, and it's like the first thing is like a drama, like, what's going on? Why is everybody weeping like we're all going to die? You know, what's happening here? And they tell him, like, we've, we've gotta, we're either going to have to fight, which will definitely die, so we're either going to have to be killed or we're going to have to surrender our right eyes and then be their servants forever. It says the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news. I love that. It says his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces. That's two, you know, oxes are big animals. They're like rhinos or something without the horns. That's my personal interpretation of what an oxen is, but you know what I'm saying. They're that size. So he takes these two rhinos, AKA oxen without horns, and he cuts them in pieces. It's like, dude, and he sends them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever doesn't go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, he's already roped Samuel in with him, <laughs> so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out with one consent. Mm -hmm. The right fear, the different fear, the fear of the Lord, which is pure and holy. You may see it coming like a, yeah. Um, so, so there that happens. When he numbered them, the, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, to the people who came bearing the bad news, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you'll have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. Oh, I like that. I like that. So it was on the next day that Saul put out the people in three companies. That's, that's interesting. And they came into the midst of the camp. That's the name of the Lord right there. Yeah. Hmm. Triune. In the camp in the morning, and they killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and it appeared that those who survived were scattered, so that not two of them were left together. Man, 1 Samuel 11, verse 1 through 11. That's an interesting, that's an 11 verse story right there of Saul coming onto the scene with his new heart after he's been transformed into a new man with a new mind. This threat comes from the cost, the serpent, the mindset, the. Uh, uh, the serpent himself, the enemy. It comes with so much intimidation, they feel like they don't even have an option in the game. 
They come down with this victim mentality, which is never ours in this new covenant. Our backs are fully against a wall. We have a losing situation and or we can lose. So we can lose or we can lose, but if we lose, we'll still, still have one eye and that's the greatest victory we can have and be their servants as slaves. But something happens when the Spirit of God comes upon Saul because he sees this is, we have a covenant with God and this is not it. We don't make covenants and treaties to get our needs met or to stay safe with anything else or anyone else. We don't compromise anything in this walk other than following Him completely, totally, and fully. And we know that He takes care of us. Now His choice of how He sent the message out is interesting to me. You know, he obviously hacked up a couple of oxen. You know, they said, man, he was really getting mad. He's starting to, he wants to fight the enemy, but he's hacking, he's kicking, you know, stabbing these, these rhinos, these oxen, you know, he's cutting them up and mailing them out. But it's like, there was something about that, those oxen that he was cutting and sending out and saying, I'm going to do this to your oxen too. <laughs> it's just like, that's such a funny threat to me. But at the same time, if you don't follow me and Samuel in this battle, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. Like, hey man, you got us. So they showed up and then the very people who were coward, cowarding and were, were, were trying to make a deal to be their servants before he gave them the eyeball option came back to Nakash into the people and said, we'll let you know by tomorrow when all of our friends get here. You know what I mean? It's what they're kind of thinking, which is so great to me. So Israel comes in in three, in three uh, packs, three companies, and destroys the Nakash off the face of the earth, you know, wipes those people out until not two of them were left. Together, they routed the enemy. That's such a strange story to be in our Bible, isn't it? You can say yes. I mean, I think it is too. Um, but the thing about it is, is, is just like what we said in 1 Corinthians 10, these things were written to them as examples for us. Amen. Yeah, it's a strange story. It's history and it happened. It's real. But these things were written as an example for us. And so it's like, man... When we look at these stories, when you read these stories, the best way to read the Bible is ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten His Word to you. Lord, would you, would you help me to see this as you see and what you're actually saying to me? And so when we ask questions like, man, what does it mean that Saul was turned into another man? What does it mean that God gave him a new heart? Like, what does this actually look like? We see that for us as New Covenant Christians, we've been given a new heart and new eyes and new perspective that causes us to come into agreement with God no matter what it looks like in our life. Even if you're dealing with what seems like an intimidating situation that comes and parks itself in your life, a lot of times that is the way God matures his sons and daughters. Is he allows us to see right through it to his plans and purposes. But to take the easy way out is to make the compromise with darkness in order to like kind of save our skin a little bit or just not to go through something uncomfortable, especially when you're talking about a manipulative situation or relationship that you may be in. Hopefully not, but you know, that's kind of the way this thing happens a lot of times. And they feel like, man, if I stand for what's right here, it's really going to cost me because I'm going to have to deal with all the stuff that comes from not bowing down to this control. You know, I know I'm just kind of talking maybe to myself, but Listen, 
this is, this is the kind of the way this thing goes. But in reality, there's an anointing. There's, there's, there's Christ within us that causes us to have a different perspective because he wants to manifest heaven in the here and now, in the world through us. And there actually can't be any compromise in our hearts with anything dark in order to actually kind of like keep ourselves from going through drama. There can be no compromise there. I think a lot of times when we, when we see, when we hear that type of term, there can be no compromise. Like, don't you let yourself watch a rated R movie, you know? Or, you know, it, you know we think of it in these, weird, these, these type of ways, which could be the case if it has something bad in it, you know. But what I'm saying is like, there's a compromise of not fully having that eye that is single, which seeks first the kingdom in all things, and trust the Lord to lead us into truth because it is, he's, it, the good shepherd is actually raising us into the powerhouses of the earth who release heaven on the earth everywhere we go. That's the light that is in the world. That's the city that is on a hill. And it's actually the basic, the basics of New Testament Christianity. And there's no, there's no other conditions. And there's no victimhood. And a lot of times, and, I, and I've seen myself sometimes getting to an intimidated spot where I feel like I don't really have an option. I've got to take option A or B. And God's there just like, well, what, a, what about option G? You know, what about not even accepting any of those options and living by a different truth or reality in your life? And it's like, well, yeah, I guess that would be seeing like faith. Remember, our job is to see like him and to come into agreement with his will in all things. And the intention and love of God that he has for all of us, it's so profound that every single detail of, of our life, he actually walks through with us as he's raising us. And it's not even really about us. It is about us because he loves us and he wants good for us. But it's also about those who our lives are going to touch when we stand for truth. And when we overcome things that seem like they were insurmountable, it's, it's an instantaneous testimony. We overcome by the, the, word of, the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. It's not like, oh, you know, I used to be a male prostitute, you know what I mean, or whatever, some dark thing, or I was demoniac, or I was like, think of the worst thing I could have, I was just out of my mind, you know, all these things. These can be testimonies, but, but the word of our testimony is not just where I came from. It's, it's, it's like what happened this week. It's what I've overcome in my life now. You know what I'm saying? What, where he's brought my relationships now, where, where I've overcome by actually choosing to listen to his voice over the voices of the strangers. And that's what Jesus said in John 10, like, my sheep know my voice. And Saul comes down and he recognizes, you guys are listening to the Nakash, the, the voice of the serpent, and getting completely worked up. It's settled in your emotions where you don't even feel like you have opportunities in life. You don't even realize that you're the people of God who God has a covenant with. You know what I mean? And, and this is foolishness. So much so, I'm going to hack up these oxen, mail them around, and we're going to route these people from our, from our land as we should. And it was like the very first, one of the first testimonies that this man walked into in, in, his, in his life. Now, yeah, we know he ends up dropping the ball actually pretty soon after this, to be honest. But, but there's something to that voice. There's something to the, to to not compromising. There's a, there's a um, there's a theme that I've been feeling, and I feel it for the summer. And I know 
technically the summer doesn't happen for like what two more weeks or whatever is when it literally but you know summer's when kids are out of school so it's summer it's American summer um, for all of us right but I felt a theme of summer and in summer everything kind of slows down and in the church scene everything slows down and, and everyone's on vacations and stuff and, and it's a great time for us if you have kids that are in school I mean it's it's awesome for that you know um, everything kind of mellows out especially in our country um, but the theme of our summer that we're stepping into that I felt like which is from the Lord is that this is going to be a summer of faith and that and that those three words kept ringing through my heart the summer of faith that's four if, I, if you put the but summer of faith is three so those four words the summer of faith or summer of faith three you know I gotta you gotta you gotta really let it known because you know the scribes and the Pharisees, they like to pick your words apart sometimes, but, you know, but no. <laughs> Come on, yeah, see? Yeah, that was good. But it's like, the summer of faith is people stepping into this new covenant. If, you're, if your Christianity isn't transformative, then, then it's not real. Or, or we're really missing something. If it's just like, yeah, I stay, I'm just a sinner, and I'll go to heaven when I die, luckily... It's like, that's not, that's not what this is. Christianity is like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here, right now, through me, through us, on earth as it is in heaven. The gates of hell won't prevail on the earth. That's Jesus' words. Now, there's a bunch of them kind of mixed in there, but, you know, that's Jesus' words. The gates of hell will not prevail. Like, it's like, that's here and that's now. That's not in heaven. There's no gates of uh, of hell and heaven, you know what I'm saying? There, there's, there's something to, to come into this oneness of mind, which is the body of Christ, the church, who actually moves and lives by faith and sees no circumstance according to the flesh. Sees, sees nothing according to the way it looks like in the natural, but lives by every word that proceeds constantly from the mouth of God. And that's who we're called to be. And I feel like this transformation that literally this story is prophesying. We know, you know Saul kind of goes bad because he's, he's insecure, you know, and so he really drops the ball. But to have a, a new heart, to be transformed into a new man or woman, is to step into Christianity and become who you truly are. Even if everybody in the group or in the world is, is living by compromise or a victim mentality, it's people in this, I feel like in the summer of faith, people stepping into faith that are like trying new things that they've never tried before. Amen. Stepping into new pursuits that they've never pursued. You know, Choosing where, where a lot of times we've, we've taken maybe the easy way out or the comfortable way to say, not anymore, this is different. Because our Christianity is transformative and we're not who we thought we were. We're, we're actually like him. And Jesus said, like, go and make disciples throughout the whole earth. It's like, how do you make disciples? I mean, it's, we've taken it back to we're sinners and let's pack, pass out tracts and tell people they're sinners and they're going to go to hell if they don't join our club. Well, that'll scare them in. Huh? You know, it's like, that, that's not it. But to make disciples is to live this walk of transformation in our own hearts and in our own minds in such a way that people see it and want what we have. Like, wait, you're overcoming things that I want to overcome. You're not affected by things that affect me. Why is this? Why are you different? 
because I have a new heart and I'm a new person, because I'm walking according to a different voice, not the strangers and not the Nakash, not his forecast, but the forecast of the good shepherd who leads us into victory and into all truth. I feel that the Lord, like God, the Lord of hosts, God of armies, wants to start a fight. That's what I feel like. And I feel like he wants to pick fights with, through us. Yeah. He walks around the world inside of his sons and daughters and he wants to make moves through us. And when we see things through the testimony of Jesus, we, it's not that we can't discern that something's in a fallen state the way it shouldn't be. It's that we can discern the way it should be. We see people not as they are or situations as they are, but through the testimony of Jesus, what Jesus' value for them is, how he sees them, the seeds of heaven that are in them, and we speak to those things that are not here until they are here. And that's us. The power that through the stars across heaven is on the inside of every single one of us. Saul got a glimpse of feeling that when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and, and then he went into a rage about how the serpent had all these people afraid and deceived because it was so wrong and unjust. But there's injustices we walk around on a daily basis that, that God wants to pull us into. You know, He wants into. What's that, you know, when, when they say, hold me back, hold me back. You see somebody getting in a fight, someone's like, hold me back. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, but God's not saying hold me back, but, but I feel like his people hold him back. We're always like, no, 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 no. That's not our fight. That's not our fight. That's not our problem. That's not my issue. That's theirs. That's personal. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, no, 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 no. Let me add him. Let me get him. Yeah. The anointing. Christ in you, the hope of glory the fear of the Lord, the reality of heaven being so much more real than every reality of the earth. It trumps it. It trumps it. Lord, we thank you for your word that is true and that your covenant within us has, has you, you've, you've come to transform us. That Christ within us is the hope of glory, that your spirit within us has been given us to approve the world of sin and righteousness and unbelief, to actually demonstrate that the ruler of this world is judged, the serpent, the nakash, the, the compromise of the enemy. Lord, I ask that there would be a, a holy and righteous resolve within your body here and with, within your people that sees things the way you see them, that sees through faith instead of fear, will never allow their vision to be plucked because they want to keep it safe or not rock the boat. Not to choose a, uh, to turn a blind eye, but, but to simply actually look to you and step into the reality and hope that is of the kingdom and release that light in the world. Let it be us, Lord. Yeah. I've seen it for years. People turn a blind eye to something that's there pluck their own eye out in order to make compromise and not be led of the Lord. And sometimes 
people do it just to keep from rocking the boat on an issue, just to have peace at their house, whatever it is. But when that happens and we turn a blind eye like that and make it, you know, that kind of compromise, it doesn't end up being just compromising on an issue. It turns our sight into gray to where we won't see by faith. We don't see. It's not just like, well, I'm just not going to leave that there. I'm just going to choose not to address that, even in my own heart, my life, my house, or whatever it is, just to make a compromise because it's just too much to deal with. You know, but by, but by giving our sight over to the enemy or choosing not to see, we actually we lose the singleness of vision that causes us to be able to see the hope in the future that God actually has in every other sphere of life. It's so costly. And um, it's really cutting out the perspective of God uh, in our life. And just like these people of Jabesh, it ends up in confusion, depression, and hopelessness and all these different things. And God's heart for us is to see with a fearless vision and fearless eyesight that's pursuing him, understands that he has us covered and the things that he's leading us into, he's got. They're more with you than, than are with the enemy or any circumstance you run into. And, and just, just even in our church building, just, just today, there's more destiny and purpose that could shape the history of the entire world just today through the people that are here than we could even comprehend because Christ is in us. You know what I mean? When every single person you interact with could be somebody that changes the world. You know what I mean? It just, it's just the way it is. Heaven rejoices over one who's lost coming to, coming to it. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you want to enter into the celebratory reality of heaven, see like heaven. Choose it. And not like the world. You know, things that have become dead ends in our life or hopeless causes, maybe see through prayer with God like, hey, I'm going to repent. I'm going to change of my of viewing this from Adam, Adam's fallen carnal way of seeing it. Let me see it like you. And then partner with that. You know, there's power in this covenant. It's transformative. Transforms us, transforms the world. That's why we're here. You know, and the music's good. <laughs>